ordinary everyday lives. I think our only response to the breakthrough that God brings in our lives is a life of worship. And ordinary, ordinary everyday lives, this is going to be interesting the next few weeks with those two words back to back. Ordinary everyday lives speaks of exactly that, the lives of worship we live in relation to God because of who He is. So I'm going to set it up this morning and over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying lives of some of the characters in the Bible who understood that their daily lives, their ordinary everyday life is an act of worship before God. I think we live in a world where there's this chasm between a normal person in church, if I may use that word, which I am part of, and leadership or all the wonderful people we see up on stages and podcasts. We live in this weird celebrity Christian world we, we follow these people, we think they've got it, they've got it figured out. We simply, all of us, are empowered by the same Holy Spirit. And if all of us say yes to the call of God, and if all of us walk in our ordinary, everyday life, there's no difference. Yes, God appointed some people to be leaders in certain areas of church and society. But your life is nothing less in the eyes of God. Your life is not less powerful and it's not more ordinary than the guy that you might be watching on YouTube and thinking, wow, he or she's got it figured out. So our ordinary, everyday lives is what we're going to talk about this next few weeks. And I'm excited to see you guys move into the extraordinary because of the way you're living your ordinary lives. Are you excited for that? So I want to start off by just setting the stage and, and our design would help you understand that better. And we've been speaking about this just briefly over the past few weeks. But Soren Kierkegaard, which is a Christian Danish, Danish thinker, came up with this idea to say that worship is a theater. And he called public worship and our worship together a theater. Saying that when you go to a theater, you expect a play. You expect there to be actors. You expect there to be an audience. You expect there to be someone to call the cues so that the play works together nicely. You expect there to be a director who pulls it all together and make it happen. The sad reality of the theater of worship in our world today, and this is why he wrote this piece about it, is that modern church has flipped it around. You guys sitting in the pews are the audience. You guys are the ones looking at the actors on stage, and if Brian acts pretty well, like he usually does, we'll sing along. And if the drummer plays the right beats and not too loud, we'll sing. And if Pierre or Rick or anyone else brings a good word that Sunday morning, we will respond. So we've become the audience and everyone else up here becomes the actor. But Soren said, when I study the Bible, I see a different picture of worship. And he said, what I want you to do is to, to take an imaginary piece of chalk and, and draw a circle around everything that you call church. That is your stage. That is this stage for the theater of worship. And therefore, if that is the stage, everyone who steps within the line of that place of worship becomes an actor because you are on stage. That includes you and me. All of us are then involved in this act of worship, in the theater of worship. But then there's a prompter. In theater terms, the prompter is the person responsible to call the cues, to say this is the next thing that happens, let's move here, let's do that. 
And that is the role of leadership, to come in and say, you know what, this is what God is saying, and we all go, and all the actors respond. But that prompter listens to the director, and according to Soren, he feels the director is the Holy Spirit. Where the prompter would say and spend time, and I'm excited for this morning because my message changed three times in preparation, as I'm like, God, what do you want me to prompt the people in, and the Holy Spirit speaking to me and directing my steps? That's his role, is directing our times of worship. And then the audience is an audience of one. It's God. The moment we see it this way around, the way you listen to the word of God becomes your worship. The way you respond to the word of God when you leave this room is your worship because you're an actor on the stage of worship which God has set for us. And your audience is an audience of one. It's the Father in heaven and no one else. So if we treat worship like this, I want to take it further and say that the circle of worship stretches around all of life. And this is what this series is about, to say our everyday, ordinary life is a stage where we are an actor on the stage to perform our worship for the King of Kings, our mighty Father in heaven. This helps me to not go into the details of this, but to simply say that worship is not music. That's part of the modern church challenge we have, is that worship ends the moment the music stops and fades away. The Bible teaches something differently. And this whole series will be found in Romans 12 verse 1. So familiar scripture. But it says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The starting point, the bare necessity, the entry level, reasonable faith or the reasonable offering of worship is by you saying, God, my life is a stage. And on this stage of my living, I'm gonna worship you generously, magnanimously, with everything in me. So I'm gonna take my life And lay it down as an offering before you, holy, which means to be set apart, to be unlike the world, to be unlike society and the opinions out there, acceptable, meaning, God, my way of living will be well-pleasing to you. That is my life of worship, my everyday, ordinary life I will present to you as a means of worship. The message says it so beautifully, and this is where we got the, the title from. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. This is what it is to live a lifestyle of worship. I love the the, the scripture that that Dave shared this morning. He brought it to priest of his prayer. Out of Psalm 42, verse 4, it says, Go up to the house of the Lord with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude-keeping festival. If we live all of life as worship, then we'll come to church singing. Then we won't wait for the music to start before we open our mouths and our hearts to Almighty God and say, you are incredible because we're living it every single day. And that's just what David spoke about. He said, go to the temple with shouts of joy because God is worthy of your worship every single day of your life. I love hearing what happens in the Pharaoh house. Uh, Michelle and the, the children told us that on Sunday mornings, Ricky wakes up with a, woohoo, it's Sunday. And then they're all like, oh, ah, 
Seriously. But he's super amped to go to church. He starts his Sunday morning with a shout of praise to God. And we're going up to the house in the temple of God to meet with God's people and celebrate together this life of worship that we are living. Everything you say, you do, you think, you act, you work is an opportunity for worship. Will you grab that opportunity and say, God, today I'm going to worship you for whatever I say, whatever I do and think, for whatever I need to do at work, in my family, in my life. All of life is worship. That's what the Bible teaches. Romans 10 verse 36. I love how the songs just amplified this verse to us this morning. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Worship is because of God and it is back to God and it's found in God and therefore to him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the life of worship that God has called us to. So our prayer for this series is that you would get to a place where you come on a Sunday morning and you bring your worship to church. Where you are so enamored with God and what he's doing in your life that you run here on a Sunday morning saying, I'm gonna sing loudly with the brothers and sisters God has given me to walk this life with because my life of worship is extravagant to my God. I wanted to speak about Daniel's life of worship this morning, but I kept feeling this is not it, so I kept gravitating back to the start of time and the start of humanity, and I thought, is it Cain and Abel and their offerings? And I just didn't feel that that sits right. And yesterday, I was like, God, I know there's a word that you want us to look at this morning. And he took me to Genesis chapter six. And this morning, we're gonna discover the life of worship that Noah lived. When we hear Noah, we see the big screen movie, the remaking of it, the comedic comedic ones. We see the animals, we see the ark. But I found this beautiful piece of passage about the life of Noah that's gonna be our starting block for this journey together to understand what a life of worship looks like. We're gonna look at the lives of men and women who knew that their life of worship counted more than their words of worship. We could sing till we blew in the face, but our lives authenticate the singing to God. So let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter six as we find our key passage there this morning. Only gonna read a few verses, gonna start on verse five and read up to verse nine. And it'll be up on the screen as well. Let's read together. I read from the ESV. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Let's pray together. God, I'm so aware that We do live in a godless generation where I can imagine your heart is being grieved by the things you see on earth. 
And our prayer simply this morning is that you would look upon us as your sons and daughters and that we would be righteous and blameless and walk with you so that we too can find favor in your eyes. I pray, Lord, as we study your word this morning, let it be a mirror to our lives. Let us see where we could live a life of worship, Father, that counts and will echo into eternity for generations to come. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, speak through your word. I avail myself to be used by you this morning as you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I read that verse, I just stopped. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And I imagined, because it's quite an emotive description about God, grieving, regretting. I imagined for a minute, which is impossible, but the heart of Father God in that moment. Looking at mankind and thinking, this aches, this grieves me, this is sore, that I made man in my image And yet man chooses evil and wickedness. Man chooses to live in a way which is dishonoring to what I called and placed in man. He was saddened. And I can imagine the heart of God painting in that moment with grievance, saying, I didn't imagine this. This isn't, there's a regret, there's a sense of, but God in his sovereignty knew that there was a plan And that plan was based and placed in one man named Noah. And he stopped and he said, yes, there's a grievance. But yes, there's a hope again. Because there's one righteous man, one blameless man, and one man who's walked with me. And I know that there's an opportunity here for a second chance. The second chance is the heart of heaven. Every single time. Where God can come and take our brokenness and our wickedness and our evilness and turn it upside down if we would let him and put us back on a new course. And then God in his sovereignty saw an opportunity because of Noah's lifestyle of worship before his king and his father and almighty God. I want to take you back to give you a little bit of context. This is incredible that Noah was the first person to receive a personal prophecy in the Bible. When he was born of his father, Lamech, his his dad said these words over him. His name shall be called Rest, like in resting. This one shall bring us relief. Isn't that amazing? At his birth, the day he was born, God spoke a prophetic identity over Noah through his father. The first man to receive a prophecy And then he walked his life with God and in righteousness and in a blameless way so that God could use him in the end with an incredible purpose to set the course of humanity back on track with God again. That's profound. And so many of us are walking with something that God spoke over our lives many years ago, but our lives of worship doesn't match up and we lose out on the promise that he has for our lives. Therefore, it's so important to understand that in between Noah's prophetic start and purposed end was an ordinary, everyday life of holy and acceptable worship. You know what it is that God has said over your life. 
You know where it is that he wants to lead and use you. All you have to do is simply be in the middle, say, God, my life is going to be holy and acceptable to you through my everyday life of worship. Some of us get so stuck in what it is that he's called us to. Some of us focus so much on the one day when we reach it. All you have to do is walk with God. And no one knew this. And he was purposed by God to set straight again the direction of humanity. And at the end of this message this morning, we're going to see how Noah was chosen to be the very first human that God came into covenant with. Because of this reason and this life of worship that he lived. So three things which is going to set us up for this journey. And we saw it there. Righteousness, blameless life, and walking with God. It's as simple as that. If we would be men and women who take our ordinary, everyday lives and live righteous before Jesus, blameless, and just walk with him, commune with him, be with him, the direction of our lives could be like Noah where he uses us profoundly and it will echo into eternity. So let's talk about righteousness and what this means. The word righteous simply means to be in right standing with God, to be just, to be looked upon by God and seen as vindicated and in a good position with him. Now the challenge lies in the fact that the Bible clearly says that none is righteous. We read this further on in the book of Romans. None of us are because of the sin and the evilness and the wickedness that's come into the world. And I thought about this for a moment. But wait a moment, God. Jesus wasn't present in the life of Noah yet. The cross hasn't happened because we understand that according to Romans 3, that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is available to everyone who believes. How did it work with Noah? And I felt that God showed me Noah's heart was in a place of right standing with God. He just said, my heart and my emotions and my lifestyle and my thinking is going to be bent towards the God who created everything. And I can imagine Noah looking in this godless generation at everything around him and him saying, uh-uh, not me. There's a mighty God who I'm created in his image and I'm going to live like that. I'm going to desire and hanker after that. And then we see later on in the book of Hebrews how this all comes together. Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Your righteousness and your walk with Jesus is simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And Noah understood this. He probably looked at humankind and thinking, how are we going to get out of this? And he only had one option. God, I'm going to trust you and have faith in you. And his faith in God made him righteous before God. And it's very interesting to see the scripture right before this verse in Hebrews says this, and it links so beautifully together. I love how the Bible just fits together when you start reading it. And looking it up, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning things unseen. And then the story continues. I'm going to read that again. The step before it, without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Therefore, by faith, Noah grabbed hold of the things of God. Noah was looking at his godless generation and saying, you know what? I'm going to draw near to Jesus. I'm going to draw near to Almighty God. I'm going to draw near to the Father in heaven. And that was his cause of being righteous before God. And in the same way today, we have the opportunity because of the cross of Jesus to say that I'm not going to look at the things of the world and walk according to the things of the world, but I'm going to set apart myself and be unlike the world and live according to the standards that the Heavenly Father has given me. And therefore, we can be in a righteous, right-standing relationship with God, each one of us. That's the seedbed and the foundation of a life of worship. It's not a ticket to sin. I love our Uncle Yesu, but I said that last week. Some of us treat it like that. You know what? I can press the boundaries a little bit. If I overstep it, it's okay. I can come back and ask for forgiveness. It's a desire of the heart. It's a place of positioning your heart before God, saying, I don't have a taste for the things of the world. I've got a taste for you. Because I've tasted and seen that you are good. This morning when we prayed, in pre-service prayer, God gave me a picture of fresh bread. I, I, I love bread, as you can see. It's a little side joke. My wife just said, wow. Was it you who said, wow? Okay, someone else said, wow. Uh, she did. I can be full to the brim, but if I walk into the spa and they're baking bread, I go bananas for the bread. I would go right up and see, and I ask the people, do you have a warm, hot piece? Anyone else like that? Yes, there we go. And I just, I just take it, and I just gulp it down. I could be full to the brim, and I felt like that is what God has for us. We, Jesus, the bread of life, becomes so beautiful to us that we could think we've reached it. We've made it. We've, we know everything. We go to church four Sundays a week. It's all, all cool and great. But that aroma of Jesus comes again and again. You're like, I want that. I want more of that. Because our hearts are turned towards him. And we see that in the life of Noah. When everyone else went this way, Noah said, I'm going to turn towards God and put my faith in him. The second thing is that Noah was blameless. Because of his righteousness and his righteous living before God, he lived a blameless life. He didn't get tripped up by the wickedness in his own heart. He didn't get lured by the wickedness of the world. I can imagine, I love how it says in Hebrews, by reverent fear, he built the ark. Can you imagine how the people looked at this crazy guy building an ark, just getting wood, building it big, all by himself, doing his thing. I can imagine the many times that Noah, like, ah, this is hard work. I'm not sure I can complete this. He was a human, an everyday, everyday ordinary person. And he said, I'm going to work because he feared God above everything else. He said, I'm going to stay blameless with God. I'm not going to join those crowds out there who runs after wickedness and I'm going to complete the work that God has given us. I love how Matthew Henry puts it in his commentary. It's on the screen. It is easy to be religious when religion is in fashion, but it's an evidence of strong faith to swim against a stream to heaven and to appear for God when no one else appears for him. So Noah did, and it is upon record to his immortal honor. I believe that God is looking 
for no us in this generation who would say that even though the world kill us and slaughter us and are against us, we're going to stand righteous before Jesus, blameless before Jesus, and keep on walking with Jesus. And I want to be a no on my generation where I unashamedly run after the heart of God in every single thing I do. That is what a life of worship is all about. It's finding Jesus in all of it and saying, I'm going to cling to you like nothing else. The Bible says clearly that the law of God was written in our hearts. The imprint of God's very nature was imprinted upon us. And Noah knew that because of his heart that God created. In that position of being a creature of God, in that virtue of being made after God, he knew what was right and wrong. And he said, in my heart I want to be blameless. I'm going to choose what's right. So not only am I righteous because of my faith, but I'm going to live in a way that is blameless and right before God. And then the last point, and the worship team can come and join me, is that Noah walked with God, and this is my favorite one. A couple of verses earlier, it speaks about Enoch, who walked with God as well. And then the Bible said that God just came and took him. He was, he was walking with God, probably righteous and blameless like Noah, and God came and took him. So there's not, not much more, although the, the Bible refers later on in the New Testament, there's some prophecies of Enoch that's been recorded, that's been taken and shared with us. But I love how the example of Noah was left there for us. God took Enoch, but he let Noah walk so that we can see what a life looks like and pans out when we're walking with God. Walking with God is our highest call. Noah's highest call wasn't to build the ark. His highest call wasn't to set humanity on a new course of life. His highest call was to walk with Jesus, to walk with God. And I love the picture, it's walking. If we take the original Hebrew word there, it says that he went after God. That when God goes, he went with him. Every single time. It's not a running, it's not a chasing, it's not a pursuit. It's a simple step-by-step. Let's pause for a minute. Let's consider, can you imagine what it was for his heart, him thinking about God and God making him stop and seeing the things of this world that is pretty and beautiful. He talks with God, can you imagine that? Spend time with him. There's nothing more extraordinary, extraordinary, than an ordinary, everyday walk with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. There is nothing more extraordinary than an ordinary, everyday walk with Jesus. Yeah, this world that we live in has put stages out there for us that we all need to attain to. Yeah, and we live under pressure and hard work to try and reach it and disappointment time and time again because I have not reached my stage and my platform yet. Where God says, my child, I've given you a daily opportunity to live an extraordinary life. All you have to do is come and walk with me. Micah 6 verse 8. Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What is a life of worship? It's simply to do justice to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. And everyday, ordinary life of worship is simply to do what is just and right, to love kindness and mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then the beautiful story unfolds. He completed the ark. The animals came. They're all together waiting for this terror of God to come. And the rain starts falling and falling and falling and the ark starts rising. I can't imagine it being a nice moment for Noah. Hearing the godless generation being wiped out. But I can imagine him being on his knees saying, God, thanks for saving me. And Father God saying, you know what, Noah? It's because you walked in righteousness. And when I look at you, you're blameless. And we, we're in relationship. So therefore I chose you. So now just wait here until the flood subsides. And I'll give you your marching orders when it's all done. And they waited. We know how the story unfolds. And eventually, when it was all over, God came and spoke to Noah. And the first covenant between God and man happens. The first covenant between God and man. That's how profound it was. From a prophetic understanding of what he's called to, to walking this life of worship, God takes him and says, I'm going to make almighty God, God who created everything, I'm going to make a covenant with man. And we know how the story goes. And he put his bow in the air and he said, never again. Will I completely devastate all of mankind like I did. And Noah was the happy receiver with his family to put humankind back on course. And here's the key for us this morning. Think about that second start for humanity in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. And then think about your life. An ordinary life of worship today is the foundation for an extraordinary life used by God tomorrow. All that Noah did as he walked with God. And his message and his story echoes into generations and generations. So much so that we in Somerset West today look at his life and like, God, I want that. So it's simple for us this morning. I don't know where your walk with God is. I don't know what it looks like. I can tell you out of my own life, there's moments where it, it takes a little bit more effort. There's moments where I feel I'm drifting a bit. There's moments where I know I need to go down on my knees a little longer where my soul is thirsty and I, I, I smell that bread of life and I need to say, God, I, I want to stop now. Stop everything. Stop everything that this, this generation around me has to offer and I want to grab hold of your good, loving, incredible bread of life so that my life can be one of worship I don't want to be coming here to church on Sunday and let Ricky preach his heart out and then just leave the door and say that was nice give it a bit of a rating let Brian sing by the way his, his voice is half gone because he's sick but he's up here this morning singing his heart out not because he has to ask him this morning are you right?" he said I'm not feeling well but I said, how's your heart? He said, Pierre, I can't wait to worship. Because he's living it in the week. The reason we have a worship team or a music team, if I may, 
It's because I know these people's lives are one before God where they say, we walk with you daily and we're in a right standing relationship with you. Let's close our eyes this morning. Lord, we hear your call this morning for Noah to arise. That doesn't care anymore that there's so many opinions of the world. Because in the end, God, all that's going to matter and all that matters now is that we are in a good place with you. Lord, forgive us for the times where we've let the evil around us take root in our hearts. Forgive us for the moments where we've let the voices of the world become louder than our voice of worship to you. We want to be a generation of Noahs who will be said of one day that they were righteous and blameless and they walked with God. And if that's the cry of your heart, I want you to think about this seriously. I don't want everyone to just stand. If that's your prayer, saying, I want to be a Noah in my generation through my life of worship, just join me in standing this morning. Jesus, you know every heart that's standing. And we respond this morning saying, God, this stage of life, our worship, let it be beautiful to you. Let it be magnifying of you. Let us decrease and you increase. Let our personal opinions and thoughts and ideas become less and all of you become more. We want to join in for thousands of generations singing, holy, holy, holy. Lord, thank you for this example. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us on, that we wouldn't come back next week having to find ourselves again before we can sing out our songs of praise to you. But that this week would be a life and a week lived in such a way that when we walk through the doors next Sunday, we are so excited and amped to be with you and to praise you because of what you've done in our lives. I pray for every heart standing, Lord, that you would set us on new course. That every breath we take, Father, everything we do, every move, every action, every thought, Lord, would be an act of worship to Almighty God, to our audience of one. Forgive us for the times where we've acted out for any other audience. Where we've placed anything before you, our work, our family, our fear of man. Forgive us, Lord, for the fear of man. Where we've neglected to step onto the stage that you've given us and say, God, today I'm going to give you the best show because you deserve it. Where the eyes and words and thoughts of man have become the director of our steps, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would stop that in our lives and that we would hear you clearly. That we would truly be a generation of Noahs in this world. That you would help us, Father, in the mission that you've given us 
to set humanity on a new course. And that in between what you called us to do and when we do it, Father, that we would simply live an everyday, ordinary life of worship. We thank you for that.